Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode of Red Inca is a story I've wanted to tell for ages, of how I grew up in 90s Melbourne as a young leg spinner when Shane Warne was Shane Warne. Shane Warne changed where my family sat at the cricket. He also changed pretty much everything else about cricket in the era that I was growing up. My cricket story starts in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, a cricket club called Camberfield. But at the time I was there, it was called Kimberfield because so many of my family played, scored, or were on a committee. And depending on who's telling the story, I went to a Camberfield match before I turned one week or two weeks old. The club was essentially where I grew up, where many of my first memories are there, either watching my dad or sometimes my uncle play cricket. And this is where I started playing as well as a seven-year-old. And by 1990, I was a 10-year-old leg spinner. The real reason was my father. He was the coach of our under-12 team, and he told me and my friend Dom that neither of us were ever going to bowl that fast. And if we each chose a different kind of spin, our team would have one of each. For some reason, Dom picked off spin and I picked leg spin. The entire idea came to my dad, who was a career number 11, because even though he couldn't bat, he could at least handle pace bowling. But against spinners, he was completely mesmerized. And he figured that if that was the case for him, a grown man who had played cricket for nearly 30 years, then chances are that young kids would feel the same. Why I chose leg spin and Dom off spin, I actually don't know. There really weren't that many role models in Australian cricket at that time for any kind of spin. Greg Matthews was really more of a battle with an extravagant action. Peter Taylor was an extravagant action more than anything else. And Peter Sleet was the leg spinner. And he was kind of just arms flying around like he had double dislocation. But in truth, I don't think Dom or I copied anyone, at least at first. But what we did have almost straight away was instant success. I took wickets every game, usually more than one. And Dom took a five-wicket haul really early on. I was the keeper in that game, and the kids were just dancing down the wicket and getting lost against it. And I remember playing in a non-league game that had nine adults and two kids on every side. And I was only 11, and I took four wickets as people just kept dancing down trying to hit me everywhere. At that point, everyone was kind of happy that me and Dom were bowling spin, but few people had any real ideas about it. Players, coaches, anyone. It was just a thing that we did. And so for the first few years, I was just bowling leg spin and having a good time. Our club was fairly small, so we usually only had one junior team. And so the teams with one side usually got put lower down the divisions. It meant that even when we dominated as players, only one of us usually got the call up to play representative cricket. And Dom was a far better cricketer than me. He was probably a better bowler and a better batter than me at that stage. And he'd go on to play district cricket with Northcote later on. Also, because he was an Ospinner, he was quite neat and tidy. And I bowled like a kid trying to get the ball out of the back of my hand. 
for a leg spinner, I was pretty accurate, but I was still a young leg, so things went wrong. And my batting was very agricultural. I could hit the ball a long way, but there was no real technique there. But as a bowler, I did continue to get better, and in part because I watched a lot of Mushtaq Ahmed. And I did actually remodel my bowling a little bit on him, or at least use some of the flair that he had from his run-up. It meant that I ended up with a decent wrong'un, and I kept taking consistent wickets. If I could find a cricket coaching book, I'd often read about leg spin, and I listened to everything that Richie Benno said on it. At that point, I was usually the only leg spinner in the match, or certainly the only frontline leg spinner. And for those couple of years, I had a lot of fun. In 1992, I went to the Boxing Day test at the MCG. Earlier in the game, my dad told me we could go to either day four or day five. We couldn't afford to go both. And I knew enough about cricket to choose the fourth day, as I'd see more of the game. And I saw a young Damien Martin scrap around and make some runs. On day five, which was my dad's choice, Shane Warne took seven wickets. That is essentially when it started. A few months later, there'd be the gassing ball. From then until 2007, it was always about Warne, even when it wasn't about Warne, right? Contests with Lara and Tendulkar, 99 World Cup, 2003 World Cup, the contest with Murali. It was just always about Warne. He was a Nike cricketer, which at the time was so bizarre. And I was a young teenager in Melbourne who bowled leg spin while this was all starting. In fact, I turned 13 just a week after Warren took that seven-wicket haul. I still remember the flipper that I saw on the TV, of course, because we weren't at the ground, that took Richie Richardson, who was probably my favourite batter at that point. And I also remember going back to cricket after that, and suddenly all the senior players who had nothing to say about my bowling ever were suddenly obsessed with leg spin. It was the thing to talk about in Australian cricket. Put your moustaches and chest hair away. It's flipper time. And from that point onwards, if an adult asked me about cricket, once I mentioned spin, not even leg spin, (laughs) everything was about Shane Warne. Less than a year after Shane Warne's 7th, I realised that I was in this new world. The under-16 and senior coaches had plenty to say about my bowling, having never even really noticed it before. When I would come on to bowl in a match, the opposition umpire would be asking about Shane Warne. I mean, it wasn't just about my life, of course. The actual language of cricket changed because of Warne, and I suppose the way that Richie Benno explained Warne. I remember when I was about 13 or 14 going to the MCG for a coaching camp, and we were taught the flipper. Warm was everywhere as well. He was almost instantly well beyond any sort of normal cricket star. So it meant that even people who didn't know about cricket knew about Warren, and they knew he was a leg spinner. And all this time, my bowling just kept getting better and better. I filled in for the under-16 team in a final and took a bunch of wickets. And then every adult at that game wanted to come and talk to me. And the other thing I noticed was it was no longer my leg spin. It was Warren's and therefore everyone's. And then I had a bad year. In fact, I turned up to a net session at the start of the year and I could only bowl wrong-ins. And because everyone was an expert and absolutely no one was an expert, everyone was trying to help me and it just completely gave me the yips for a little while. In fact, I would fix the wrong-in problem, but I could never feel comfortable bowling a leg spinner that year. I think what actually happened is I was in the middle of a big growth spurt. And basically, I went from starting the ball low and letting it go high and then drop down, like many young leg spinners I saw after me. It gives you almost perfect flight. But when you have your growth spurt, you're actually bowling from another height altogether. And I either bowled too flat or too flighted. And my bowling just completely fell apart. Again, many people had lots of advice based on something they'd half heard Richie say. None of it helped. Later, I'd read something by Tiger Bill O'Reilly that suggested almost everything he heard publicly spoken about spin was wrong. And I think what he was talking about was flight and how in his mind it was much more about pace. But I went from having the best bowling average in the league to bowling off-cutters as a third-chain specialist. 
And of course, this was all worse because now everyone else was a league spinner. One reason I didn't need to bowl mine as much is because we had another one in our team and we had a backup one in our team. And even in my own family, I could see this happening. All my uncles were seen bowlers. I was the first spinner in the family. But then two of my cousins took up leg spin. I could see the worn effect in my backyard cricket matches. Luckily for me, the next year, leg spin just sort of fell back into place for me. I was bowling better than I ever had by Christmas, and I was taking so many wickets that I got offered to be captain of my league's representative team and also play Dowling Shield, which is the under-16 version of district cricket. And I got picked for North Melbourne, which was a bit of a laughingstock as a team at the time. But a couple of decades earlier, they had players like Ian Chappell, Paul Sheen, Alan Hurst, Alan Connolly. Also the Pakistani opening batter, Sadiq Muhammad, and West Indians, Gary Sobers, and Rowan Kanai. Of course, it wasn't at all that club when I got there. It was very poor. And weirdly, that club has now moved to a place called Greenvale, which is actually just down the road from Camberfield. North Melbourne's Dowling Shield team, we had a 15-boy squad, and I was one of the four leg spinners. We also had an offie, but no one really cared much for him. The rest of them were all really batters, who in the nets would come in and rip the ball. And occasionally they'd pick up a bag of wickets. I was probably the only specialist frontline bowler of the lot. And I saw this a lot. In my high school cricket team, I was picked as a batter because they picked another leggy who had no real idea what he was doing, but he could walk in and spin the ball a long way. And in the nets, it looked amazing as everyone tried to run down and smack him everywhere. But in a game, players just tend to hit you square or milk you. And he didn't know how to handle that because he wasn't a bowler. He was a ripper. Most of the Shane Warne acolytes were rippers, not bowlers. And in the nets, I didn't look like anything special at all. But by this point, other than the one year of off-cutters, I'd been bowling leg spin for like six years. Like, I understood what I was doing. I might not have been very good at it, but I understood it. And I'd take wickets quite often and rarely get hit. And some other bloke would bowl leg in the nets and bowl someone around their legs, and I became invisible, or worse, like an off-spinner. And out of the four leg spinners for North Melbourne, I was probably the worst batter. So I missed out on the first game. But when the two leg spinners they chose failed, I got called up for the second. The captain of the team came from my school, and he didn't rate me at all, and we didn't particularly like each other. So for the first 48 overs of this one-day game, I just stood in the field doing nothing. And then it turned out he got his sums wrong, and he brought me on for the second last over of the innings with the opposition already nearly 300. My first ball was a drag down, and the batter missed it and was bowled. Everyone laughed. My next ball, the batter came down the wicket and missed a big slog, and the keeper missed it as well. The next four balls were also plays and misses. I actually bowled a pretty good death over after starting with a half-tracker, and somehow, in the 49th over, I bowled a wicket maiden. It was my only over of the tournament. I did actually play another game, they just didn't get me to bowl. I was told it was because I had a bad attitude, which I assume came from two things. Questioning why, as a leg spinner, I was brought on for one death over, and another game when I went out to bat with 20 overs left in the game, and we were nine wickets down and 150 runs behind, and they were... You guessed it, leg spinners at both ends, and I decided to have a bit of a crack and eventually got caught. That year I played a lot of senior cricket as well, and I took a couple of big hauls, also bowled a couple of incredibly long spells, 30 and 35 overs at times. Sometimes I would bowl a lot of overs in the morning in junior cricket and then come out in senior cricket and have to bowl three or four times as many, usually into the wind. If I was bowling well, usually I wouldn't get too much advice. The minute I delivered one poor delivery, they would tell me to just walk in and rip it. I didn't walk in, but I did feel like I was ripping it. I just didn't bowl like Warren, and apparently that's why my last ball was terrible, rather than just being a leg spinner who bowled a poor ball. If I bowled too many wrong ones, I'd be told Warney didn't need them. If the ball wasn't spinning, I just needed to try and rip it even harder. If I did rip it and it dropped a little bit short, the advice would be to work on accuracy. There was no right answer because I was a teenager trying to replicate Warren with a different body type and action. It was impossible. 
I would love to have bowled like Warren. Who would not want to bowl like Warren? But I couldn't. And not only could I not bowl like Warren, I couldn't explain to people why I couldn't bowl like Warren. But they didn't want to hear that because I should just bowl like Warren. After my junior cricket finished, my dad asked if I wanted to try a bowling coach. I'd taken a lot of wickets at this point, but I think he knew it was all self-taught. And I knew how to get wickets, but not necessarily actually bowl correctly. If I wanted to get better, then I needed proper guidance. So I found a phone number for a spin bowling coach and I called it. The person who picked up was like in a truck company or something like that. And quickly I worked out that I think I was talking to Ray Bright, the former Australian spinner. I have no doubt that he could have improved my bowling. But he would ask a question and I'd give an answer and he'd suggest a remedy. And it was always the same thing. He was quite clearly, even over the phone, trying to turn me into a Shane Warne-like bowler. Every question, it just came back to Warne. I could almost see Warne in his answers. And like, if it was just me copying Warne, I think I would have already been able to do that. There was a part of me that knew that this would cost my dad a lot of money that we didn't really have and that it would be a waste. I couldn't become a Shane Warne-type bowler. I was rake thin, I had no shoulder strength, small hands, plus the wrong one was my best ball. I needed momentum through the crease like Mushtaq Ahmed or the less famous Victorian leg spinner, Craig Howard. I wasn't a bowling expert. I didn't really understand biomechanics, but I knew I couldn't bowl like him. In fact, I had a theory that no one should try and copy him. Most of the players who did in club cricket were absolutely terrible. They just didn't have his strength. They could all rip it, but they were usually really slow. And I was already slow. When I tried to bowl like Warren, it was even slower. None of this stopped me going on to try cricket at the higher level. But even as I got better as a bowler, there was always a ceiling for me. And it came from a biomechanics problem within my action. I had a very strong front arm, but it went out to the left. And instead of looking through the gap, which meant that I would pull my action, I wasn't getting the rotation through. So as I got to the higher level and had to bowl a bit faster, it just meant that I got no spin at all. I really should have bowled more like Kumble or Mushtaq Ahmed. But if I ever bowled more than one wrong in an over or a couple of straight ones, I'd get told off. Warney doesn't need him, mate. One captain started screaming at me from slip and said if I kept bowling wrong ones, he'd give me an off-spinner's field. It was like we lived in this new world of leg spin, but it was all a different kind and I couldn't really do it that well. The thing is, I kind of identified as a leg spinner at this point, which is, I suppose, hard to understand, but I felt like I found this magic way of doing things that I knew more about than many other people, like I was part of a movement. And I loved every long hop and wrong one. Plus, I think it suited my personality. The bowling, the action, the things that go wrong, new grips. Also, I felt like I discovered it before it was cool. It was like singing Kings of Leon when they made sweaty southern rock before they turned into a pop band with guitars. But I just wasn't very good. My amateur leg spin career died out because I couldn't fix my action, and I wasn't good enough to blaze a new path as a different kind of leg spinner. But in truth, having small hands and slow arm speed, I would never have got anywhere near making it, even if I was biomechanically perfect. I just wasn't good. Eventually, I played less cricket as the only work I could find as a high school leaver was usually shift work on the weekends. This was no great loss to anyone in club cricket in Melbourne. There was little chance of me ever becoming a Bryce McGain-type player who in his late 20s worked it all out and suddenly went on to play for Australia or even Victoria or even district cricket. And even as I started playing less, I noticed that after the initial burst that I was swept up in, leg spin was just another form of bowling by the late 90s. Really, by 1998, the novelty had disappeared. If Warren had any effect, it was ultimately just making leg spin a normal part of cricket in Melbourne and throughout Australia. There was obviously a period of everyone looking for the next Warren, but even that seemed to disappear when all the spinners that came after him were just not of his level. In fact, the best one was probably Stuart McGill, who took up the art before we knew about Warren. Warren obviously went on to be a big deal for years to come. The leg spin became less important. It was more about Warren the champion or Warren the celebrity. 
And I don't really know how to process the fact that someone who had such a big impact on my life is now on TV saying things like he doesn't believe we evolved and that we're actually all from aliens. Warren started as a leg spinner and ended up as something far, far bigger. But he did change where my family sat for the cricket. As I said before, my dad was a fast bowler, and the thing that he liked best was to sit square of the wicket and see the speed bounce and carry. I still remember it, my first test match with him. That's where we sat when we were watching Was a Macram Bowl. Was a Macram Bowl so fast, I couldn't actually focus on the ball for the first time in my life. But a couple of years after Shane Warne's seven for at the MCG, my dad took me to another fifth day. This was the one that Warne took his hat trick on. And we were sitting in a different place, as straight an angle as we could find. And over the years, as I got better at bowling leg spin, and my dad would come and watch, he'd usually sit and watch from that similar straight angle. I was a Melbourne leg spinner through the worn years, but it was my dad he moved the most. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from Cricket's past, well, I have a History of Cricket podcast called Double Century. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Century in your favourite podcast app. Sports Social Podcast Network.